You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Wisden Cricket Weekly Podcast. England finished the summer with a record of six wins from seven after a test at the Oval that will go down in the history books for a number of reasons. I'm Yaz Rana and today I'm joined by the editor-in-chief of Wisden Cricket Monthly, Phil Walker. There's a new issue out later this week. The managing editor of Wisden.com, Ben Gardner. And for the last time, for the time being at least, Taha Hashim, who's leaving us at the end of this week. So you've left the door open for him then, have you? Yeah, I have. I have, yeah. I mean, <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the upcoming magazine, he's down as freelance writer and regular WCM contributor. So so who knows? For the talking... last time, for the time being. <laughs> what a phrase. Unfinished business. Yeah. Um, for our YouTube audience, as you can see, our setting is a little bit different to usual. So I hope you enjoy that. We've got lots planned on today's show. The Oval Test, the continuation of Chris Silverwood's Sri Lanka revolution after they claimed the Asia Cup this week. England beating India in the first T20 up in Durham. Alex Hales' return to the England fold, the return of the county championship and much, much more. But first, let's head to Mark Butcher to hear his thoughts on the final test between England and South Africa. Mark, you've been at well over 100 test matches. What was it like being in the ground on that incredibly moving Saturday morning? Yeah, that was uh, that was something else. It really was. Um, I don't think anybody really knew uh, sort of how to how to feel about it at, at, at the beginning of the day. Obviously, we'd had our instructions as to sort of the the tone and the mood me- me- uh, was meant to be somber and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, absolutely, I don't think we needed instructions for that. But it was there and it was sort of hanging over the over the ground like a paw. Um, but then when you know, when the team came down the stairs, I mean, the minute silence hadn't even begun by then. The, the team came down the stairs and the ground was absolutely silent. And you could hear like the studs clacking on the on the staircase as they made their way down. How Laura Wright sang the anthems in the way that she did, particularly ours, um, was something else. Um, and, you know, Athers and I were, were first on commentary. We just sort of sat there. Um, 
and that there there are two counts. You get one count. We're on air. We're live. But then you've got another count going down in your ear for when the rest of the world will join. I'm presuming that quite a lot of people would have had the, the full coverage on anyway, but you kind of presume that they, they're going to start. At, they'll be with you from 30 seconds to to the first ball or whatever. Um, and so we're sitting there and Athens on lead and, and, and they, they start applauding, obviously, at the end of the, the anthems and the team getting their huddling all the rest of it. And then and it just kept going. It kept going, and it's obviously the director's panning the cameras around, and I'm sitting there looking at Ath, and we're both sort of gulping, and and we're, and he's going, no, not yet, not yet. So we waited. The count went all the way down to sort of welcoming all of the other the broadcasters from the world, and still there was no need to say anything. You know, it was absolutely electric, and it's probably just as well because I don't think either of us could have got a word out at the time. It was kind of it was it was it was really something. Um, I, you know, I, I couldn't, you couldn't help but think sort of, wow, imagine that up and down the country all day Saturday with, you know, with, with all the other fixtures that that didn't go ahead and all the other kind of stuff. But, um, you know, people make the decisions that they make and they're all under that different and varying pressures to, to do whatever they did. So, but I mean, cricket had it, cricket had its sort of spot, didn't it? You kind of had that Saturday all to itself, Saturday and Sunday all to itself. And, and the, the players, or at least England anyway, didn't disappoint. It was a, uh, it was a fairly typical performance from them from from start to finish. And what was again, you know, I hate to say it, but it wasn't a great wasn't a great surface. Um, we thought maybe that on on sort of like the first day, with it having been undercover for all that time, yeah, fair enough, it was going to be a bit lively. It didn't really change very much by the time we got to the end, unfortunately. So, what do you think was wrong with the surface? Um, I don't. I'm not entirely sure. I mean, you know, you look at the the county championship scores. When Surrey had played at the Oval, there have been big runs made there. So I, I, I don't really know, in all, in all honesty. The, um, I guess underneath the sort of the covering of grass, the, the, the actual, the actual sort of soil itself, it's, it didn't seem, it didn't seem to be very solid, um, and therefore I think the ball just gripped all the way through the game, and it swung, Obviously, it swung as well because. The ball wasn't going to get damaged. The, the outfield looks incredible at the moment. You know, I've not seen the ground look like that in September before. Um, and so the ball stayed pretty much brand spanking new. <laughs> and once the lacquer came off it and it started swinging as well as seeming, then good luck. I mean, it's been an incredibly low scoring series. The cricket was entertaining. The, the, the highlight reels are great. But it didn't really have the passage of play that, that makes a good series a, a good series, if that makes sense. No, I think you're right. I think maybe there's one that sort of stands out, and I think that was the the that moment in the Test match at Old Trafford when South Africa had a had a chance and Folks and Stokes slammed the door on it. I think that was kind of like that was a high quality Test match cricket right there. You had you know the Nokia and and Rabada and Co. Um, reverse swinging the ball. Ben Stokes getting his nut down and and uh, and repelling that and then counter-attacking and Ben Folks playing. I think that was the sort of, in terms of quality, that was the highest quality cricket, I think, of the entire series, that that passage of play. But the rest of it, you're right. It was, you know, two bowling attacks. I mean, bizarrely, South Africa didn't, they had the Fab Four for the first one that they won comprehensively and then didn't, didn't play them together again, which I thought was extraordinary. I mean, you know, even given the issues with the with the batting lineup, you just thought, well, you know, an, a, a sort of a, a doubly bowling fourth seeming all rounder. 
batting at seven is probably not going to score you that many more runs anyway. Why not? Why not play the four, the four fast bowlers and hope that you can shoot England out for less than than you get shot out for yourselves. But anyway, I mean that that's entirely up to them. Mm. But yeah, it, it was it was it was again. You know, there there are always moments moments to pick out. Um, you know, watching Rabada bowl at times, um, particularly at Lords and, and a couple of the spells at, at, at Old Trafford. Was magnificent because he's just such a wonderful athlete. Jimmy Anderson was unbelievable once again, particularly I think on the flattest pitch of them all, which was the Old Trafford one. Um, Ollie Pope played a couple of really, really, really top innings in very challenging conditions. One in this Test match and one and one at uh, one at Lords. Um, there, there were moments, but I think you, I think you'd be right, and I don't think anyone would think I was being churlish to say that the the, the cricket overall was was pretty low low quality mm. it was it was high on high on thrills but but not not very high on on sort of substance i suppose mm. um what did you make of yesterday evening uh the umpires taking the players off with 30 odd to win yeah i think we we kind of saw like maybe didn't see that coming because but we thought that perhaps they were a bit quick to take them off the night before um and of course once that happens you that's that's where you're going i mean the there's so many things about it that are wrong. Number one, why why aren't we starting the test matches at half past ten in, in September? Because even even when you add the time on, you know, so you add on the half hour, the which is not even an add on anymore. That's just part of the game. You get an extra half hour at the end of the day. That's a six thirty finish. And then if you lose any time, you add it on at the end, which takes you to seven o'clock. And you're never playing at seven o'clock. Just not happening. Um. So you know that that in itself is is something that that really needs to be looked at. Um, and then, like I said, once once they'd made that call, that the umpires are given no no room for common sense. I'm afraid they they are marked and they are governed by people above themselves. And the laws and the protocols say that this is what happens once you've got the reading from one day. It doesn't matter what happens on the next; you go off at the same same time. No matter that there's only thirty runs needed to win the match in the series and save. Everybody, the bother of coming back the next day and in front of the, the full house, they have no, their their remit does not allow for that. So I have a certain amount of sympathy with them for it. However, they, they might have given us another 10, 15 minutes of play on the, on the previous night, which would have meant that they didn't have that call to make. But um, it was a shame. And in fact, I was quite surprised, actually, that as many people came to the Oval as they did. I suppose if you've already decided that you were going to take the Monday off or whatever and come, then you then you might as well. And it was it was really nice to see the ground, um, not quite half full, but there was a there was a decent um, amount of people there to see um, to see Ben and, and the team raise the trophy. And they, you know, I suppose if if you look at it, if you just narrow it down to this this last three Test matches, um, you could sort of say, well, after all the build up, it was it was perhaps a little bit on the disappointing side. But that's only when you compare it to what had happened before. But then if you look back on the on on the the series. And the, and the test match summer as a whole, it's been it's been incredible, hasn't it? I mean, um, there, there aren't many summers comparable with what England have done over the course of this time. There have been better series. Um, you can everyone can think of one off the top of their head, but in terms of the uh, the entertainment and the, the extraordinary turnaround of the team's fortunes, you'd be hard put to 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 think of anything like um, what has happened in 2022. Do you reckon they've got a chance playing that brand of cricket in Pakistan? The test matches that we've seen there since Test cricket returned, there have been slow burning affairs where 
quicks yeah. in your 40s don't have a huge amount of value in the grand scheme of things. Obviously, we don't nah. pace bowlers will be fit then, but you know, you know, the the way you win test matches in Pakistan in the last three years has been scoring big runs and and actually quick, quick bowlers taking wicket spinners have done really, really quite badly there. Yeah, because it's, it's been very difficult for them to get into the game. Um, I think that's interesting because, I mean, the the premise of trying to score quickly um, in Pakistan is quite a good one, isn't it? You're trying to you're trying to add time to the game, I suppose. A lot of games run out of time there simply because the pitches don't deteriorate enough. So if you, the faster you score, the more time presumably you get to to try and take twenty wickets. The issue, I suppose, is is that that as you quite rightly point out. That means playing innings of, of substance. You've got to not only have you got to score quickly, but you've got to score a lot um, because Pakistan's batting lineup is not South Africa's batting lineup. They will they will score a lot of runs at home. You get absolutely guaranteed. Um, you know Rizwan, Baba, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Those guys make big hundreds for fun. Um, and so, so with the bat, it, put it this way. We're talking about the likes of, you know, some of the players who might have been struggled, who have struggled for form, struggled for runs. Somebody like Zach Crawley should really enjoy batting in Pakistan. Um, he might have a, a lot of pace to work with in terms of, um, you know, Nassim Shah and uh, and uh, Shane Shah Afridi, etc. If they if they're all fit, um, you'll have a, a very small window of time where the ball does a bit of something when it's brand new, and then it's you know shin high bounce and and hit through the line as much as you like. So that should that should suit him. Um, just fine if he gets through the opening salvos. Um, but when it... Uh, you, so the runs should take care of themselves. If England can find a way of, of kind of not giving wickets away, because I think that's that's something that when wickets are tumbling as quickly as they have done in England over the course, uh, particularly over the course of this series, sort of throwing your wicket away or, or allowing teams back into it, knowing that you're going to be able to take 10 wickets pretty quickly yourselves is no big deal. Can't do that in Pakistan. That's that's signing your own uh, signing uh, signing your own uh, death warrant um, over there. So got to get got to be greedier. Not only you got to score a bit high tempos, but you got to be greedier. And then with the bowling lineup, you got to hope the ball reverse swings. You got to hope that one of Wood um, or Stone or somebody is is fit enough to go on the trip because you have to have that pace. Um, and then you know. When it comes down to when it comes down to the sort of like the spin factor, Pakistan tend to eat ordinary spin bowlers for breakfast, don't they? As a, as a batting lineup, so that in itself is a, is a huge, huge challenge. Ben Stokes' knee is a huge challenge as well. I mean, how much work is he going to be able to do um, if and not if when the pitches get very flat and when the when the ball stops doing anything? Um, so the, the the twenty wickets thing is going to be much less straightforward in Pakistan. And finally, you mentioned the fans that turned up today. If they stayed to the bitter end, they'd have um, seen and heard your your interview with with Ben Stokes at the end, where where you where you put to him some of the criticism you said on the podcast and and on commentary. It was all alright in the end. He took it. He took it pretty well. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, and he he kind of he came back exactly as I as I expected he would do. I mean, all the time during that during the and if people are listening for the first time, the criticism from me with him was not necessarily England's approach. Um, you know, I think we're all kind of sold on on wanting to watch that. It was, it was a player of his quality, sort of getting out slogging. You know, that was that was, that's been my problem. Um, and so, you know, I, I put it to him that perhaps 
he was he might be selling himself short as a batsman. Um, and he said, "Well, you know, we, we won six out of seven. I'll take that." I said, well, no, yeah, I get I get that absolutely. Um, and and all was well in the end. We're we're all all friends, but you know, I mean, I suppose throwing it forward, thinking back to that knee knee injury a little bit, and this this wasn't the point I was making at the time, but it has occurred to me that at some point he might not be able to operate as an all rounder, in which case England are going to need him to be a to be the. And I think he's he's good enough to sort of average fifty for the for the back half of his career. Um, you know, he averaged forty over the course of this summer, and he slogged it up in the air six times. You know, so just think how many, you know, and I think, and I think his, his team is going to need his runs, um, particularly when they play away from home and particularly when they play against opposition who are not quite as acquiescent um, with the bat as South Africa have been. Well, cheers, Butch. Uh, you're off to Pakistan soon, so no rest for you. Uh, enjoy that and we'll chat soon. Speak to you, cool. speak to you from uh, Karachi, probably. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So that first day was extraordinary. What was it like just being at the ground for start? Yeah, uh, incredible. Obviously, we'd had the day off before that and then the day prior to that was just raining, but obviously everyone else was kind of following the news elsewhere. Uh, and then you get there for, for day three. Uh, and yeah, I was there for the the silence, the anthems. And yeah, it was just very clear that you're part of a, a very historic moment you've probably heard by now from so many people that it was quite a moving experience overall my sort of impressions were you know it was just kind of it was just it's it a strange thing really just you know trying to comprehend everything that happened in the previous 48 hours and then it's like let's let's get on with the test and then the cricket itself was extraordinary too uh you had ollie robinson bowl you know just an extraordinary extraordinary new ball spell just a crazy amount of wickets on one day um, and it's very hard to just even right now to kind of process what happened on that day. It was a yeah, just a an odd day to be there. Mm. Um, Phil, this series was remarkably low scoring, two frail batting lineups, colliding with two outstanding seam attacks, and the end result was a series that only saw two team totals of over 180. I thought it was entertaining, but also a bit hollow at times. It was on fast forward the entire time and didn't really have the the ebbs and flows that we that we so love in Test cricket. Yeah, and uh, it, it will. It will be forgettable, I think. I think that this test match that's just taken place will be unforgettable for obvious reasons, mm. but the cricket itself lurched so quickly from inspired to inept. Uh, in terms of the reflection of both teams as well, you know, I mean, England were a bit of a disaster at Lords, South Africa uh, bowled very well, batted okay. They made a one pass score in the whole. Of, of the test series and that was at Lords and even that was only two 270 odd something like that that was enough at Lords but uh the the, the this not even a soft underbelly with South Africa I mean a, a, a flabby bloated underbelly uh, of their batting was exposed and we feared that might be the case and we thought that England would have a little bit too much a little bit too much depth uh and it really was kind of starkly evident 
um, at the Oval. I thought South Africa picked some odd teams. Uh, I was surprised that they hollowed out their middle order for the last test match and put in two, one player on debut and one player who had never played a test match in England and only played two or three games in, in Ryan Rickleton. And so I was surprised at that. It was always going to be one hell of a shot in the dark. I can understand why they felt that they needed to drop um, Markram, but then, but then he's still a player that has some kind of experience of international cricket. I know he's going through a rough trot and so on. Uh, it felt like all the frailties of that South African side that they were hanging in there basically from the time that they they fell over on that first morning at Old Trafford when they when Elgar took a very daring decision to to bat first which is no longer in vogue in, in international test cricket. Uh, and when it started to go wrong by lunchtime onwards, uh, it was clear that the gulf between these two frail sides, sure, but but with England's depth being so evident, I thought it was it would have taken one hell of a, of a performance out of nowhere really for South Africa to have got anything from that oval test match. Uh, and then I think, I don't think we can fully di- divorce what happened at the oval from the extraordinary build up to it and the circumstances around that first morning the intensity in the air the the sense of this being the first kind of collective outpouring uh would undoubtedly have have have, have brought a, a different kind of energy to the place uh that said um that doesn't result in bowlers landing it on a sixpence time after time and ollie robinson's spell i mean if we're talking about out inspired moments through this this peculiar series then Ollie Robinson's new ball spell was his real graduation ceremony I think that was given the new ball in the first place I know you know he took the new ball earlier in the summer as well but he's now the undisputed new ball bowler alongside Anderson in that side and that was as good an opening spell as you can see and I think the the stats bear that out I don't think I can't remember what it is now but I think only once before as an oval test match first morning of an oval test match delivered a new ball spell with four wickets in that first spell as good as that. So, you know, this is it's a sign of of really a cricketer. I was going to say a cricketer reborn, but I think that's probably overdoing it a little bit uh, because he already came into this summer with a, with a good record. But, but his attitude is clearly, the penny has dropped with him. He looks like a different figure physically. Uh, I think there's been some, some open and honest words regarding his own... Uh, attitude how serious he takes he takes his his privilege if you like you know and and I don't think this is just words that have dropped into his into his shell like from a couple of coaches I think he was aware of this as well he gave a very interesting interview to Vidushan the ESPN writer for the Wisden Almanac where he acknowledged that he, he didn't he didn't knuckle down as he should have done in the first year of his of his career and this was before the John Lewis comments in, in yeah years. and he Vish asked him about the John Lewis comments and he's absolutely open about that and he said it needed to be said. Uh, he didn't begrudge that. It came from the right kind of place. However, we've got to this point, we now have a fast bowler or a medium fast bowler who has added two MPH to his to his repertoire, which is crucial, I think. That difference between 80 and 82 at that level is crucial. But also that speed's not dropping as dramatically and that's across the key, spells yes. as it was in Australia. Exactly. So, so the median speed across mm. the across the test match is is maintained now, uh, and that that would have that would have caused any any top top six mm. trouble anywhere in the world at any point. As it was, he came up against a very frail one. 
Uh, yeah. I mean, lo- lots of English bowlers do well in home conditions, but and I know we're talking about quite a frail batting line in South Africa, but Robinson did genuinely look like a world-class bowler, as Phil says, could take wickets. Anyway, we had a really good question, Robinson. Alex asks, did Ollie Robinson receive a hard time after the Ashes defeat, particularly the comments by John Lewis, throwing him under the bus when he did okay in Australia and was exceptional in the English 2021 summer, or was it necessary to unlock an even better bowler i think that's a really good question but well i think the thing i mentioned about vish probably plays mm. into that yeah that, uh lewis wouldn't have said that without having discussed it with the team management you don't accidentally stumble into an interview as a assistant bowling coach and then as as the chap puts it throw the throw the bloke under the bus so that would have been a clear strategy from the england management uh, and it was clearly something that robinson needed to hear and maybe needed to hear publicly and maybe they needed to have that conversation out in the open uh by hook or by crook, it's worked because mm. uh, he's, he's he's a different physical beast this summer to what mm. he was last year. And I, th- I think that that raised eyebrows at the time because um, you obviously had England struggling and you have the, the perception maybe of some people looking to pass blame onto others. And if there's a bowling coach, the bowling struggling, who's saying, oh, it's this bowling's not working hard enough. That can be something you think, OK, is this just someone trying to sort of varnish his reputation? But it's worth remembering that John Lewis and Ollie Robinson would have known each other really well. John yeah. Lewis would have spent time at Sussex. So that would also, that would mean that there would be quite a lot of trust there which would allow you maybe to, to, you know, to go in that bit harder if it needs to. It would also mean that he would know what kind of character Robinson is and what kind of motivational techniques are going to work. That's not going to be the right thing with every player. Mm. And I hope we are now getting to a stage where, um, well, and, and in some cases we're not, where, you know, we realise that different players need, uh, d- some need number around the shoulders. Some you need to accept that if they're going to perform at their best, they're not going to have a, a body that corresponds with what we would traditionally associate with a top level mm. athlete. And that can be, Find something about Lizelle Lee and Stafford has been forced to retire with concerns over weight, despite and and them saying she's not fit enough when she's their best player essentially or their best batter at least. Um, and that and that and that's that's a different situation to this. Is what I'm saying is that this has worked and therefore it was the right thing to do, I guess. Uh, and the fact and the reason why it worked is because they knew each other and there was that trust. And it I yeah, have to say it's a good actually reflects well on John Lewis now, if anything. Yeah, just briefly on, on Robinson. Thinking back back to the back to the winter rather against Australia, where there was that unedifying moment when he was bowling off breaks because he'd run out of puff and it was all a little bit ugly and embarrassing. I thought he got too however, much stick for that. However, right, okay, go on. The criticism on the dropping in speed when he was still bowling seam was fair. I think there's one spell he opened at 67, but the off spin. I don't think the people around him should have let that happen. I think they should have been aware of the optics of this guy who's struggling with his fitness a little bit anyway, mm-hmm. just resorting to off-spin. It was the image of the day mm. for those woke, waking up back at home right. rather than watch the ball of it. But, I, but, I think that, was, that wasn't just on him. Yeah, fair, good point. Very and and Stokes has bowled off-spin in a test before and we're not questioning his dedication and, and fitness, at least not in that point of view. Yeah, so. it just played into that narrative, yeah. didn't it? And, mm. and, and that could have been avoided. But there are other motifs from that series as well, such as him nicking off Warner with deliveries that did have energy off the pitch um even on to be fair actually those pitches in australia they did have a bit more than you'd come to expect but that this question regarding his uh propensity to do well overseas well we're going to find that out to begin with um but i think he'll go okay and the reason why i think he'll go okay is not just this relentless accuracy and crucially the the trajectory coming from that kind of height um but he he bowls the natural length of a good bowler, and you're talking literally inches here. Um, he, for a big fella, he naturally hits that length. And the the bowler he reminds me of, and I'll get shot down for this, is McGrath. Now McGrath was very straight lines. There was a 
there was a kind of geometric quality to McGrath, if you like. And he had a brilliant wrist position, and with a tiny little deviation of the wrist, he could he could cut them in, and he could hold it, hold a line. He didn't have a big away swinger, particularly just as Robinson doesn't have a big away swinger, but he seems it, and he just has that God-given innate knack for finding the right length. So you can be playing on a dead one in Raw Pindi, you can playing you to a green one in Dunedin. I think wherever he goes, I think he will, if he's fit enough, he will ask questions of you and. Mm. I think England have really found one there. And I think the questions regarding him as a cricketer last summer, uh, I think you can be relatively confident that those questions have now been answered, I think. Mm. I think they've also re-found one in Stuart Broad a little bit. Like uh, He wasn't um, bowling badly at all to start this summer, but he was noticeably in those first four tests the weakest of those three seamers. Uh there were already rumours or that well there'd been reports that he was considering a time when he was dropped for the West Indies obviously him and Anderson both come back in and England start winning again which sort of uh, managed to avoid that conversation somewhat but I think when Robinson then returns and you've got Potts who's been the, up, up to that point the find of the summer uh, and you know we have got Broad who he loves his media work outside of it uh, and there were again murmurs that he was going to come to the end of the summer we already know he's missing, he might well miss the Pakistan tour because he's got a, a baby on the way uh, it all felt like it was maybe building towards this being the end. And he's been a, a, a bowler kind of almost transformed or reborn, I think, in that um, from that second test onwards, from when he had the new ball taken away from him. I mean, he was absolutely brilliant in in both tests. He bought the, the ball to, I can't remember it was two, but it was the one that he celebrated with Ben Folks afterwards of the plan having come together to Ryan Rickleton. Mm. That, was a, that was a brilliant piece that of bowling, a brilliant plan. And, and an excellently executed sort of a, a plan of attack as well. Uh, and Broad is also clearly now loving that environment that he's in. I mean, he obviously loves his role as, as the Nighthawk, seeing him on the bounce. We've still not is. seen it yet. Yeah, I know, I know, <laughs> and, and I hope we never will, in a way. Um, especially because, I mean, we could well have seen it today. They could have, he could have been a Dayhawk today, uh, and they didn't, and they didn't do it, which perhaps suggests that it's a, uh, it's something that they're almost thinking of as a. You, you can't. So look, I know that. You know, they, they call it that. This is this is this is Andrew Miller. And I know this Twitterati will be saying, you know, get Anderson, get get him on, get him, get his pads on, get Broad out there, whatever. Sure, you can't take the piss. <laughs> yeah. But if, you, if you're South Africa and you've been over here for two months, and then that is just simply taking the piss, you cannot do that. There was an element of that today when when Pope went for the the root reverse group, and Jansen was furious. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and you would be. You and would and be. McCullum after play said the only thing he's been angry about all summer was that Pope didn't try again the next ball. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Um, uh, yeah, just just yeah just 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 thinking out loud. Can we be that critical of South Africa whilst also being? Uh, giving the England bowlers that much credit that makes sense like this the pitches were reasonably helpful for, for Seamers basically everyone took wickets and that is one of the weakest top six and sevens I can remember touring England in at least at least quite a long time well I mean you can be critical from the point of view in that they they didn't have what it took to negotiate the challenge on this tour I don't think it's a question of you know of dedication or, or discipline or of them not wanting it enough but I do think they they have been beaten by a better team but you're right I mean it's, it's a huge experience team I think D- Dean Elgar was the only member of the side in the last test to have a thousand test runs to his name, which is kind of extraordinary in a way when you think about some of the South Africa's batting riches uh, in the past. Um, and they also, I mean, yeah, so, I mean, it's 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 a weak batting lineup and these were very, very helpful conditions for seeing bowling. I kind of had, had, had all the ingredients for uh, a historically uh, poor series with the bat, which mm. is what this, what this was. But also we're talking about um, Broad and Robinson. <laughs> with Robinson, it's not just about 
these last two test matches, if you look at his career record now, it's ridiculous. Or well, 51 wickets at less than 20. So there's is that. Only both of them got their quicker for English mm-hmm. bowlers, is that right? Uh, no, no, uh, no. It's quite si- a few. Since, since both of them, he's the quickest. So he's the quickest since both of them. Okay. 50 wickets. Joint with Cork, no? Uh, yes, yeah. Um, and then with, with Broad, I mean, England did lose that first test and he, he, was, he wasn't great at Lords. I mean, yeah, he was kind of a bit too short at times, just a bit off it, really. That's why Stokes had to come in and bowl uh, in that test and kind of, he was the one who kind of dragged him sort of back into it, um, even when they kind of did eventually fall to an innings defeat. Uh, so, and that's when he gets shunted down to bowl first change. And that's kind of the test, right? Old Trafford, how is he going to react? And he reacted brilliantly. So you do have to still kind of give both of those bowlers credit in that in that regard, you know? Yeah, definitely. You thought Ollie Pope had a really good series. I did. And I know he got the century against New Zealand. Um, but I still, I still, you know, there's still, I still wasn't convinced in a, in a way, but watching him in this series, there's still that. So the criticism surrounding him over the last couple of years is he's kind of this almost fidgety presence at the crease and kind of, you know, like he can't, he can't rest. He's like always kind of moving about a bit. Um, and that's not necessarily what you maybe look at for a number three. Um, He's just been in this series. He's just been. He had that in this in this test as well, where he was kind of like going down, going down the wicket in his in his innings, and but but it was coming off. He was pull it, playing all the shots. Part of it was because he's at the Oval and he knows that ground so well. He and did so it also see, as well, didn't he? He did. But he played an unusual innings for a number three. Yeah, it's it's the innings you'd look at where that's the kind of innings you wanted to see Ollie Pope play at number six, but he's now he's doing it at number three. But it's it's working and. The fact is that at Lords he was taking on Nokia, who was bowling ninety miles an hour and looking comfortable. And then I look at him in this test as well, and he was playing the short ball so well in this test. Like even this morning, he, you know, I think he got off the mark potentially with a pull shot. Mm. Just looks so good, so comfortable. And so he's moving around a lot. And the kind of stuff that was kind of you know his downfall of a year ago, he's kind of he's made it he's made it a part of his game. Uh, and he just looks, he's looking, I mean, he's still not, you know, he's still averaged less than 40 this summer um, across the across the seven tests. And you wouldn't say he's had a world year for summer, essentially. But he, he looks, he just looks quite obviously a lot more confident. He has obviously got that kind of, that backing. And England have said, you're the number three, you're, you're our man for the job. And he just, he, for the first time, I think you're kind of looking at Oli Pope and you can, you can kind of see what everyone was talking about at the start and what everyone was kind of hoping he would kind of become. And he's still, I mean, there's still a long way to go. Pakistan is going to be a a very different challenge and a challenge, um, you know, there will be a bit of spin and that's something, you know, he's, he's traveled poorly in his last two winters, essentially. Mm. Right. You know, he really struggled in Australia. He really struggled in India. And so this will be that next challenge for him. But in terms of um, a body of work across the summer, this is obviously his, his best one so far in England. Mm. Um, there's been a slight technical change as well we spoke about this before but Alistair Cook noticed it over the winter that he had this slightly mixed technique in as much as his bottom half was open and his top half was closed the shoulders were pointing square um, side on to the bowler but his, his his bottom half was a bit more open and so you'd get a slightly skewed balance he's, he's more side on now uh, and you can see that, and so and those shots he plays through mid on mid wicket, he's standing relatively tall to those shots. It also enables him to play a little bit better as well when the ball is is in at the body. He can kind of 
maneuver himself around. That's why, as you say, he's playing the short ball nicely. Uh, I like the impishness and the slight weirdness to it. I like the fact that he's prepared in his head to take a couple of steps down to a new ball. I like the idea. Uh, I, I like the mindset that he's now in, which obviously flows from a degree of confidence and believing that you're that you're worth your place and you're justified to be there, which wouldn't have been the case for a year or so. I like the fact that he's prepared to walk at a left arm seamer who's six for eight, and it's counterintuitive, sure, and it's not something that we've ever seen from a number three. Uh, and yet there is logic to it because if you sit in on these pitches against a brilliant new ball attack. Then, then you will end up nicking one. His defence is not absolutely rock solid. He's not a Jonathan Trot-like player. He's more of a number five by nature. So he's trying to bring the impishness of of having grown up against the white ball as well as the red and batting at four, five and four, well, six, six, five and four for Surrey. He's moved slowly up there. He's now in this rarefied position, but he's still taking some of that imagination and creativity. And I think that's probably his best bet. If he tries to play in a conventional number three fashion, then he's gonna da- he's gonna dab at, at one, you know, and 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 so to be proactive like that, I think, is the way to go. Uh, it, it's not gonna come off all the time for sure, uh, but there is a rhythm to his play now, which which you haven't really seen in a number three for England for a long, long time. And I think Butch mentioned something about his off stump guard, something like that. Right. Yeah. And you <laughs> talk about that shot that he, yeah, you know, he tries to reverse scoop Janssen mm. or something. You know, he's not playing that a few months ago, um, and it's. Uh, it's just, I guess, it's a sign of kind of where he is at with his game. Where he, you know, he's just he's quite comfortable now, and he, he's like he feels at home in that position. I guess where mm. he can kind of, I know that you know the game's basically done, but you know he feels that, I guess, in that environment he can play that way, and, that, mm. and that's fine. Um, Phil, in the fourth innings, Crawley and Lee's put on their second hundred run opening stand of the summer. The other one also came in a successful fourth innings chase. Uh, in the India game, yeah. Mm. Do you do you think do you see them both going to Pakistan? I thought it was a very similar fourth innings to the final test of the 2017 summer England West Indies, where you had Mark Stoneman and Tom Westley, two guys who you weren't sure if they were going to make the play, knocking off 100 in the final test of the summer. Where do you Stone, say that? Stoneman goes to Australia. Westley, 44 not out, never plays for England again. Yeah. Um, what do you think will happen to Lee's and Crawley? It's been a very strange summer. There was a stat that we were talking about before we were recording that Matt Roller put out on Twitter that Crawley averaged 23 opening and batting this summer, which is pretty much identical to all the other openers combined. Yeah. And within those that collection of players, there's some good players there. Uh, yeah. And he, as he says quite rightly, Matt Roller, star of the show from last week, by the way, I thought he was mm. great. Um, conclusion, it's, it's, it's no picnic opening the batting in England in, England in Test cricket. Uh, straight answer to your question. Um, I think, I think Crawley definitely goes and definitely starts in Pakistan. I'll come to that in a minute. I think Lee's there's more of a question mark against him. Uh, they are loyal, of course. They will like the fact that Lee's has tried to expand his natural game, but in the end, they will take a view that there may be other options out there that they they might want to look at you know Lee's averages 25 26 from 10 test matches less than that it's 23 let 23 from 10 test matches uh he offers something different to Crawley although the numbers are kind of remarkably similar but he offers something different to Crawley uh that I think Crawley will benefit from in the short term and and as I said on this show before I think there's more longevity in Crawley as a test player than I do than I think Alex Lee's uh, he's 
he he's hinted at at having the right stuff um but not not enough to convince to convince me and the question will will be how much does loyalty and good club club ability if you like uh how much is that offset by the fact that he has a high score of 67 across his across his career so far should have been out first ball in this chase could have been out soon after as well he was put down twice uh, pretty pretty easy chance really that that slip catch uh, that Janssen put down to the very first ball. Um, there are other options, you know for sure. Uh, Keaton Jennings is is an interesting option, but there'll be others as well. Ben Duckett, we've mentioned it before the, the show began. They've looked at him. He came into the squad. He's a versatile player who can who can go up top. Obviously left hander. He can go up top. He can bat three. He can bat five. So uh, more of a more of a question mark against Leeds, I think. Um, but you know, you know, we shall see. Crawley, look, I, I don't, don't take my badge on this. And if you're watching or listening out there in the Twitter sphere, don't shoot me down. Um, but my moment of the of the week on a cricketing level, obviously, uh, was that first ten minutes of his innings in that chase, uh, and he played three shots. And I know this is a hackneyed old point, right? Because if you watch Crawley in isolation, you can understand why they like him. But they are so pure and so persuasive when you watch when you, when you watch him on a good day or in a good minute that this is why they keep coming back to him. He played one off drive, flowed into the shot beautifully. The, the, the next over against Rabada, slightly short of a length outside off stump. No, not much more than that. And he's gone right on the top of the bounce and punched it. And it's crunched through the covers. And then next over... There's an on-drive, again, right out the screws. Three brilliant shots, three different areas of the, of the ground, and against high pace. And this is why he should go to Pakistan and why I would want him to go to Pakistan, because what he'll find out there is some flat tracks if you get in, but some extreme pace as well. That's what he'll come up against. Uh, and all the data tells you that while he doesn't score enough runs, his, his quality against uber quicks is of a very, very high ceiling. Uh, and he can hit good balls for four because of his height, because of his natural timing. Uh, he's going to get a lot of good balls. He's going to get a lot of pace on the ball out in, in Pakistan. Uh, and you can absolutely understand why they want that kind of player. Even if he only comes off one one innings in six, you can understand why they want that kind of player. I've always understood it. I've known that throughout this conversation, the, the Zach Crawley culture war, I know that I, I, I don't have much of a leg to stand in stati on statistically. I know that 160 odd not out doesn't begin to, to cement a place. But I understand the rationale. I always have understood the rationale. Um, they, they, they extend it beyond the beyond reasonable bounds. Sure. Uh, if they dropped him for this series, I wouldn't have had any complaints. But I can absolutely understand why they why they continue to go back to him, uh, and what you saw in that um, India chase is more telling than what you saw yesterday. I think because that India chase he was excellent. I think he got forty eight maybe. I think it's one of three forties he's got this year, uh, and you know another an, another day he's got four fifties this year. You know, just with a little bit more on those three innings. Um, but what he offered them that little snapshot that's that's why they keep going back to him because there's no one else who plays quite in that particular way well, i guess what's kind of also remarkable remarkable about the innings that he's just played 
is that there was almost this, as the series was going on, as the summer was going on, you had this kind of divergence between what England was saying about what Crawley is as a player, is that, oh, you know, he's he's, he's a match winner, you know, he'll, you know, he can play shots that no other guys can play. And you get that. But as they kept on saying that, Crawley himself was trying to give himself a chance of being more consistent. He was being a lot more patient at the start. Um, he was trying to leave the ball more. He was kind of reining in his shots. And so what happened yesterday, uh, kind of, in a way, kind of came out of nowhere, but also the situation was built for, okay, no, we want to, you know, Stoke said himself today that they wanted to knock the runs off last night. And so Crawley kind of had to come out and play like that. It, it, and it, it, it's, it's weird to say, but that 38 he made at Old Trafford, when he was, what, 17, not out, off 80-odd balls at the close of play, that that could be a a career maker for him because he came in with all of that noise around him, as you say, Taha, and he played the cir- the circumstances perfectly. And he, he, he kind of got a bit lucky the following morning and inched, inched up to 38 and nicked off. Um, but in the context of that game, that was an important innings. And that, I think, will be the benchmark for him. And if you can find a bit of light and shade, if you can find a bit of versatility as a player... If he can tighten up by seven, eight percent, technically, bit more, he needs a bit more liveliness with his with his forward block for me. He ha- he hangs the bat there a little bit, so you're asking for it with a little bit of movement. If you sniff it out that little bit more, play it slightly later, he doesn't need to in- improve that much more, I don't think, um, for him to start to look mm. like a player. Uh, but you know I'm, I sound like a broken record and probably no, wrong because I've said this a I completely times. see what you're saying Pakistan is fascinating for him just I know I'm ranting a bit but fas- Pakistan is fascinating for him because you're not going to get a massive amount of lateral movement unless the ball goes old and if the ball goes old he's already in but you, the hundred that you saw him make no you didn't actually but you went to West Indies YouTube and but just after he made that hundred he made, mm. that, he made his hundred on a flattish sort of track against a decent pace attack at Antigua was it Antigua? Yeah, yeah, I think so. He's going to get a bit of that, or quite a lot of that in Pakistan, I think. And if he bums out across three test matches in Pakistan, then I sound even wronger. But I continue to believe that there is a player in there. Mm. And I think they are they are six very, very important innings in his test match career because he will find conditions that should be conducive to his kind of play. Uh, one, I think the Antigua 100 was the one that made me think he's he's got a, shot of being a consistent test open the most because it was a normal test innings but as you said we've seen two extremes almost Mm. in the Old Trafford 38 and the 70 not out at the Oval and I guess one thing that England the way way in which England uh, have praised Lees and Crawley this summer is kind of comparing their returns to the expectations of what it's like to be an opener and their contributions in wins where they've got England off to a couple of good starts you were there in Pakistan earlier in the year. Test in Pakistan is very, very different to what we've seen in England this summer. Abdullah Shafiq's just scored hundreds and hundreds of runs. Imam yeah. scored loads and loads of runs. Mm. That's what it takes to win Test in you Pakistan. You can't call th- a 38 a exactly. good score in Pakistan. Exactly. But it, but it equally, totally, and it wouldn't be. I, I, I would say that it's, it's tricky. I mean, Crawley has struggled both technically and temperamentally, I, would, I guess. But I, there has been a big technical question there. And when he's got those runs, he's. Ba- I mean, all his hundreds have come on on flat pitches basically uh which you know you can use to as a stick to beat him with when he comes back to England and struggles but equally he is probably going to get some flat pitches over there and he has shown that uh when he does come to those sorts of conditions he can make well he can make absolutely massive scores and he can make uh 
big schools as well. And the, uh, sorry, I said 300s there, including the 77 in Australia's uh, three high schools that mm. will come in those sorts of conditions. Mm. So yeah, it, it really is make or break for him, but it would also be absolutely bizarre for him to stick with him for this long, for him to just look like he's uh, trying to crack it and mm -hmm. then to, to go another way now. So I think we've definitely got at least three more tests of Zach Crawley. Yeah. Um, I think I think I, I can already he's great hear. Great to watch, by the way. Yeah, no, I think. I mean, just yeah. that on its on a level. Yeah. I know I sound like a schoolboy, <laughs> but he is great to watch. Yeah, um, he also did all right in his last innings against Pakistan. <laughs> yeah, he did do okay. He did yeah. do okay there. I can hear the Twitter replies already. <laughs> I think there are a lot of yeah. Just cut yeah. all of that. I so yeah. I think no. So one, one thing I was going to say is there, I think there'll be a lot of county players out there thinking if I had this many chances, sure. I would do better. I'm than sure. this. And, um, and and there is it's it is worth putting forward that there there is another logic here that it, that England you know think that if we pick this guy and he comes off one in I mean six is even that's quite with how he's gone like one in ten times he might win us some games the other way of looking at it is that if you do pick the guy who's going to get through the new ball the most often we've seen how hard facing that new ball is this is quite an old school way of thinking it's a very un McCullum Stokes way of thinking but if you do you know get through that first hour that is going to make it so much easier for your other match winners in the middle order to succeed and to not be 55-6 mm. mean England to have won six out of seven so you know that has worked but it is still possible to to, to think that the other way might be more consistent overall in the long run um, mm. and you know you're not going to see it though I don't think and in, in Pakistan yeah no, not, not, not in Pakistan it's very different duration, don't true, they, yeah. you know? and, and we saw that with the, the Australia series you know Pakistan saved one of them when they batted for four and a half five sessions um, and so a player like Crawley is absolutely what they're looking for. Whether it, he is a simulation of the right player or not, well, time will tell. And I, I, I think we'll see England going further that, that direction. Yeah. I, I think... Um, but ben, well, Duck, ben Duckett yeah. is an interesting option. So I, I was going to... We're going to come to it later, but there was a really interesting segment on Sky today before the before the fifth day uh, where Mo Boba and David Court, who are both part of England's player identification system, both mm. lead it really, they were interviewed and uh, Joe put it quite well in our WhatsApp group. It was surprisingly transparent. And one of the things they put on was their their depth chart, which is they put on on the, they put on the screen uh, eight openers who uh, they're they're keeping a close eye on at the moment. Six number threes, ten middle order batters. It's quite interesting that Duckett was in all, all three categories. They mm. view him as a very versatile player. Um, and if they do view him as an opener, which I don't think was something that was guaranteed, given he batted in the middle order against South Africa when he played for the Lions. I do think if they're viewing him like that already, he fits in the way they're trying to play. Yeah, just that that point that Joe made about the transparency. Well, Mo Bobat was this kind of mysterious, enigmatic figure in English mm. cricket, uh, and part of the reason was that they didn't the ECB the the, the oldish regime, if you like, they didn't want him doing too much media because they felt like he liked the cameras a little bit too much. And I've heard this from ECB employees, uh, and they they wanted his role to be. Uh, sidelines really which again is slightly odd but it reflects a more open and progressive approach i think that you're that you're seeing flowing from the pitch mm. to to the way that they're they, they're going to go about their business from here on in and it's obviously a positive thing it was a fascinating interview as you say you're going to mm. come to it a bit later mm. but it's a good sign i think finally on on the english test team at the moment billy asked what represents a good winter for england not just results wise Personally, I would say winning a test in Pakistan would be amazing. But in terms of how they grow as a side and through individual performances, England play three tests in Pakistan at the end of this year, then two tests in New Zealand at the start of next. Um, ben, do you want to go? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's hard not to view it in terms of results because of how good the sum has been. I think they should be aiming quite high and I think they, they will be. I, th I think they should be looking at that 
Pakistan tour as, as a chance to get quite a landmark win. I mean, that, that Pakistan side is, it, it's, it's, it's an odd one. I mean, they, they have some brilliant pace balls, they've got some brilliant batters. It will not be easy at all. But equally, they've been turned over by an Australia side that England should be looking to compete with at some point. And, you know, they drew a test series in Sri Lanka. We'll come, we'll come to that later in the show. But um, so I, 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 I kind of think they should be looking to, to win that really. And I think it will be a bit of a disappointment if they do lose it and if the batting frailties return. I mean, considering how England's approach should be built for the kind of flat pitch you're going to see there, uh, that should be a real opportunity for them to do something quite special. The New Zealand tour... If they win in Pakistan, it'd be an amazing achievement, mm, I think. It, it, if, it, if, they, if they win two test matches in Pakistan. Yeah, or, or win one and draw two, possibly. I know they, I know they don't draw Draws games anymore. Draws look very long way away, uh, don't but, they? But, but, but the conditions there have been so flat, and it's worth also, I don't think people have quite quantified how hard it is... Oh, how hard it is for spinners out there. Mm. You th- people think it's going to be there. You're going to like like it was last winter when England were, uh, you know, t- two winters ago and they were turned over by, by Akshar Patel, etc. Um, since Test cricket returned to Pakistan, spinners have averaged basically 50 in the mm. country. It's the hardest place to bowl spin in the world. You were the there. Moment. How do you see it? Well, the thing is, I feel like once the build-up starts to that series, a lot of focus is going to be on Jack Leach and how Jack Leach goes. But people need to understand that the the, the main concern for England right now is that they they need pace they need a bit more pace yeah. to compete in Pakistan with yeah. those pitches this attack here that's been excellent that we've just bigged up that doesn't work in Pakistan and now so they've got Mark Wood who's coming back for the World Cup um, who was oh. actually bowling at the Oval um, mm. during one of the warm-ups Ollie Stone's back in that team Ollie Stone squad. yeah but then the question always is with the, the extreme quakes is that they're always going to be more prone to injuries and so can you get at least a couple of those guys into the squad fit for that series mm. and ready to go and at least have one that's playing and you know guess J- Jamie Overton comes back basically. into it as well yeah but Jamie Overton we saw as well he he, he did well on his test he bowled alright but he's still not on that in that bracket of mm. the top three of Woods, Stone Jamie Overton and Archer <laughs> um, and so that's that's the key question for them and if they can't get those those express quicks like the issue they basically had in Australia as well they they had wood but then they didn't have anyone else supporting him how do you adapt what's how do you go about it do you basically use Anderson as your kind of almost like a spinner where he's holding up an end but then who comes and attacks from the other end it's the attacking options that they lack defensively um, if you're not looking as leech as a defensive option and especially the summer he's been an attacking option flights up keep you know um gets gets the fielders up and he's he's attacking you you will have to adapt to pakistan and be a bit more defensive at times and so you'll have to look at you know anderson robinson those guys can be the defensive options who's going to attack for england leach will have to do it but you can't just rely on the one spinner because spinner's been been tough uh in pakistan to bowl spin has been really tough and those pakistan players play spin brilliantly as well mm. and so it's the quicks that come to the equation reverse swing is key uh i don't know uh, what the fitness situation is with Saki Mahmood. He, you know, he's been talked about a guy who mm. can... Forgot can about him, it. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, this, this is the thing with, you know, so many injuries that England have mm. at the moment. This is the stuff we're going to lose. Mm. Gonna... I, I, hope, I hope the listeners really appreciate that that beautiful monologue because <laughs> mm. they're going to be few and far between from here on in. Mm. He's going to remind us about the existence of Saki Mahmood from um, now on. The, the, the other quick one as we're talking about it, idly, um, Moeen Ali is up for it. He's put his hat in the ring to... Obviously, he's taking the T20 side to Pakistan, which is great in itself. But but he's interested, if if required, in to play in that in that setup for the three test matches. Could be an interesting option there at seven mm. or eight. You never know. Well, he could 
slot in into the top six, really. Mm. In those conditions as well. Mm-hmm. Free up a bit more space bowling wise, but then who also who out, comes yeah. from? Yeah, hey, who are you leaving out? And I wonder if Moeen's looked at the, the actual numbers of potentially Brooke. <laughs> yeah, if if Beto's injured. Yeah, definitely. Um, the other big news in relation to England this week was that Alex Hales has been added to the England squad for the T Twenty World Cup after Johnny Bairstow was ruled out of that tournament. It's Hales' first England call up in over three years since he was initially banned for failing a drugs test on the eve of the twenty nineteen World Cup. Ben, did you see that coming? Um, I, I mean, I, I it felt like a possibility, uh, but I was still a bit surprised. I mean, be- only because England have often played lip service to the fact that Alex Hales is available selection, but they're going other ways, and this felt like it could well have been uh, one of those. Um, from a cricketing point of view, though, I mean, I think there's been some people who have been unhappy with his recall for other reasons, uh, which we'll get on to, suggesting that he doesn't really have a cricketing case over the likes of Will Jacks, which I, I don't think is is true. I think Hales, um, there's a few things to point out. One is that I think he's actually a better T20 batter, at least, than he was when he was uh, with England. And that he's actually, he's, he's, I think he's up, his numbers are up there with the very, very best in the world. So I, I did a bit of looking into this since the start of 2020. This might well have changed when I looked into this. Bruce one's got another 50, so he might have just edged above him. But when I looked last week, since the start of 2020, he had scored more runs in T20 cricket than anyone else in the world. Uh, he was also, if you bring the cut end down to a thousand runs, quite a lot of people have got that many. But the only person to average more and score quicker was Africa's Riley Rousseau. Uh, so I guess the, the the two caveats is that Hales hasn't played in the IPL and international cricket, but he has gone and done really, really well in the Big Bash, done really, really well in the PSL. He's had a, a, a really good summer, if, even though he's like he's not going to be, uh, you know, your you Dowd Milan or your Joss Butler, who's averaging sort of 50 in the format. But he does get you off to ridiculously fast starts. And the 2 Blast, he was striking at over 190, which is absurd. Uh, and Ben Jones from Crick visited a piece on this at some point last year about the change he's made to do this and what he's really excelled at now. Uh, he's just changed how he plays against left arm spin, which used to be a bit of an Achilles heel. Now he's able to sort of open up, hit it over the off uh, the offside uh, in a way that you couldn't before. And that's made him kind of the complete T20 opener, really, who has completely no fear. Um, but I think we should talk about the the other stuff. And it's not the, the team environment stuff is something for, you know, it's impossible for me to tell about that. Uh, the stuff about him having, you know, done some recreational drugs in his time doesn't really bother me uh the thing that is a bit sort of that has been a bit buried almost and it was a a story i think in the daily mail this week about the fact that he's not been charged over his involvement in the uh azim rafiq uh racism scandal so clearly the ecb have satisfied themselves with that but i think the general public will may well not be satisfied i mean that was one of the most shocking allegations really from azim rafiq's testimony was that there was a uh, a, a racist nickname he alleged that was um, with a, there was common knowledge in the England dressing room and that Alex Hales was a key participant in that obviously Hales denies this um, and the ECB have chosen not to charge him so they have clearly satisfied themselves as well but there's been no public airing of that we don't know what what the reasons are for that for that not decision we don't know really what the what the, the truth not of it is it's been kind of just one of those things that was said and is kind of just sitting there um, and I can see why England fans would be concerned about it. I mean, I'm a bit concerned about it. So that's mm. that's my view on the Hales thing, I guess. But but to answer your question, from a cricket point of view, not surprised. And Rob Key did almost, not that he's he, he would feel backed into a corner, but he spoke very glowingly of Hales uh, in the press conference before Bairstow got injured, saying that, um, uh, that he, yeah, basically that he, was, that he was really close, but that we wanted to go with them um, and that, 
you know the other stuff was been was was just in in the past and that we and that the guys who were picked in that Pakistan tour were partly there for the experience because see them as the future all of that kind of left that door open for Hales um and I guess they've gone with the the point of view that he is the best guy to win them the T20 World Cup which I guess from a cricket point of view purely is the case the, mm. the circumstances everything has kind of worked out in his favor in terms of um you've got Roy out of form uh Bear's so injured but beyond those two if you look at the kind of next two names on the list essentially would be Phil Sort and Will Jacks Will Jacks still hasn't played in international so we don't really know much about him at that level um and then Phil Sort has played four T20s but he's not actually open for him yet um in you know in uh international cricket he's obviously done the job in franchise cricket um and done and done really well so there's still an unknown there and so for a side that has actually had quite a difficult time recently they've 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 struggled really this England T20 side ever since that world cup um they've gone for the kind of cold hard sort of ruthless option um and you mentioned there how well he's done in terms of franchise cricket i i'm not sure that's the kind of clincher there in terms of why England have picked him. I think it's basically because of the international pedigree that he has. You could have looked at James Vince and he's got an excellent recent record in the BBL, done really well there for Sydney Sixers. Um, but it's what Hales has already done in international cricket. And the reason his international career is, you know, he's lost his place a couple of times is one in the aftermath of the Bristol incident uh, when, you know, Roy and Besso came in and, you know, you, you couldn't drop either one of those. And then one with the what happened in 2019. So it's not about, it's never been really about the player and what he mm. can do. That It's just, it's a guarantee that he can kind of nail it at this level. It's 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 just no, it's, it's one of those calls that England have made where it's like, well, we're here to win a World Cup and any way to do it, mm. that's that's what we're going to do. I mean, so the that's point, why they brought him back. The point that everyone made before they criticised JC Roy this summer was that he's a England white ball great and he's achieved so much. Mm. Hales and Roy were neck and neck. Uh, they they basically came yeah. to the side at a similar time, Hales slightly before Roy, but their records were very, very similar. And arguably, Hales um, was a better T20 batter throughout. Roy perhaps had the edge in ODIs, but in, mm. in T20, I think Hales probably had the edge throughout. Moving on, one of the one of the stories of the week for the international game, perhaps the story of the week actually, Ben, is Sri Lanka winning the Asia Cup. There's quite a lot that happened in the last week in the Asia Cup. Um, Virat Kohli scored his, finally scored his 71st international 100. Um, that three-year wait came to an end. There was an amazing game between Afghanistan and Pakistan and Sri Lanka, who haven't even qualified directly to the main bit of the T20 World Cup this year, ended up as champions. Yeah, I mean, it was a brilliant brilliant tournament uh, and a brilliant last week, especially. Uh, you had sort of tactical intrigue, you had competing philosophies, you had real, real passion, you had sort of personal narratives going on. Uh, that uh, will we'll come to Sri Lanka, but my moment of the week and the, one of the, the best games of T20 cricket and I think I've ever seen really was the Pakistan-Afghanistan game. Uh, it was, um, so Sri Lanka had beaten India the previous night, which meant that a win for Pakistan would mean that it would be a Pakistan-Sri Lanka final. But going into it, all teams were still in contention. Uh, it was a low-scoring thriller. Pakistan took it deep as they like to, but Afghanistan bowled really, really well. Um, so Pakistan need 39 from the last four overs, six wickets in hand. Uh, Rashid Khan comes on to bowl, goes six wickets, six. Uh, then Pakistan lose three wickets for nine runs. Um, and then Asif Ali, who's the sort of five baller game specialist at number seven, uh, like kind of hits sixes at, at will or, or fails, but is like aced lots of chases basically coming in the last two overs in the past year or so. He hits 16 off eight, but then is out. Uh, then comes this incredible moment. I don't know if you've seen this, but um, Farid Ahmed, the uh, Afghan quick, he's, he's really good. Uh, 
he, he gives him a send-off. Then uh, as he finally responds, sort of turns around, shoves him, winds his bat up over his shoulder as if he's about to sort of like clock him around the head. Uh, they have to be sort of like pulled apart and separated. Uh, he's much off the pitch. They both only got, a, I think, a 25% match fee fine, which seems extraordinarily lenient. But I mean, you know, it's the kind of thing you do really, really like to see. So, uh, <laughs> um, And then, uh, so that's that leaves them with one wicket in hand, 12 runs needed to win off seven balls. Nazim Shah, 19 years old. This is his first T20 competition of any, T20I competition of any kind and played before this tournament. He comes in, knocks single down to long off his first ball. Uh, next over, Fazakh Faruqi, who'd been one of the bowls of the tournament up to that point, he, to be fair, uh, bowls two of his, his poorer balls, two full tosses. But this is a 19-year-old a um, who had hit three T26s in his career before that moment. Hits two consecutive sixes over uh, uh, straight down the ground. It goes absolutely mad, sort of sprinting, like tearing off his gloves, his helmet, uh, like just like pure like like veins throbbing, um, full scale, full team pitch invasion. Uh, it was just an absolutely incredible moment. I mean, it's, it was probably spine tingling. It's worth just... I mean, I, I I like I really like franchise cricket. I think you get it's, it can be very high quality, very entertaining, but you 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 don't get that sort of passion and that sort of uh, that sort of moment. So that that that, that was incredible. Um, and then you had the dead rubbers, which weren't really dead. I mean, you had the Kohli hundred, um, who and he's it's been an interesting one with him. Uh, and it I mean, it's it's a big moment obviously for him to get that off so, uh, so many times. And it, you can sort of you can you could if you wanted to draw parallels with. Sachin's 100th international hundred, which also came in the Asia Cup, uh, came against Bangladesh. Um, and in some ways, you know, the build up to that had been like a, um, almost like he'd been detrimental to India's side as they sort of kept him in to, so he could get to that. And then that hundred was actually one that almost lost in the game. And they didn't make the final of that competition. Um, and you could see this as like, is it a good thing for India that he's got this as now bought himself a bit more time on the side? But this was a really, really brilliant innings and he was really good all through the tournament. Uh, and he really showed that he can get with this new way that India are trying to play of being much more attacking and he was bringing against the spinners in particular he was scoring really, really quickly against Gem I think to get to his 100 go just past he scored 60 off 19 balls he accelerated incredibly he was he was it really did look like the Kohli of old this wasn't a guy sort of getting a 100 against a, a cow team I know they were knocked out but this was I think there really were signs that Kohli might well be back to something approaching what was his reaction play. like I haven't seen it, uh, it, it actually it was relief but it, it wasn't like the full pumped up sort of edge baston uh two arm spread roy it was there was a, a big smile on his face i mean he got he got there with a four and a six he would have been fully entitled to you know to say yeah whoever talk now sort of thing uh but, but it was it was more joy and, and it was very sweet afterwards um sort of uh thanking his 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 wife uh so much for supporting him through all the time uh, and i mean they they do get a pretty tough time i mean i don't you see videos of uh sort of paparazzi just following them around on a moped basically as they're trying to go about their daily lives it must be a really sort of suffocating environment to be in at times um and uh yeah it was it was it was just quite nice i think mm. um more than anything else and then we come to the final which is also a, a really good game um to start with you think the story is going to be the, the pakistan quicks i mean nazim who bowled brilliant in the tournament as well uh starts off with the thing with his third ball is this hooping in swinger at 142 kph to bowl Kusar Mendes, and it's not even the the best ball of the first half of the innings. <laughs> Harris Ralph bowls this this sort of 94 mile per hour, yeah, that like like a break back, like it pitches sort of on off stump and then cuts back in to take out off a middle, uh, like completely unplayable. Um, Sri Lanka, what they're 58 for five, going just overrun a ball, and then Banuka Rajapaksa comes in and plays a like a, a real gem. Is what 70 off or 45, I think. Um, they Pakistan went a bit cautious with the ball. They bowled Iftikhar Ahmed when. They perhaps could have gone a bit more for the kill, but you know, 
all credit to Frankfurt for going for it and they go up to 170 and then in the chase Rizwan you have to kind of say played a bit of a it was a it was a shocker of an innings really I mean they Paxton say they want to take it deep which is a way of playing for sure but <laughs> they they were two down with seven overs left and at that point they need 12 and over Rizwan gets out when they're so he's the fifth wicket to fall he gets out for 59 or 49 and the rate's up at 15 you've, you've like you've got something wrong there basically there was a I can't remember who the Pakistan player was interviewed but Rajapax was interviewed after the game saying that uh yeah when we were when we were five down we knew that we couldn't take a backward step we had to keep coming at them sort of thing uh if 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 we take a backward step we were defeated whereas the Pakistan player said like, no we want to take the game deep we want to try and take down to the wire and, and then hope our nerve holds those are both two ways of playing but on this day it was Shrank who came out well on top and of course it's the uh the Silverwood revolution carrying on and it was it's, it's hard not to feel happy for him after what was a real torrid mm. 12 months from England. No, it's, yeah. it's great for him. And it probably puts into perspective just how impossible the job was to to try and run and select that that squad, that team when he was in charge of England during obviously the COVID year and so on and so on. Um, the Maybe the, his kind of understanding of, of, of long-form cricket and his instincts with long-form cricket, which didn't maybe work with this collection of England players to play attritional sit-in kind of cricket, probably does work with more expressive players, perhaps counterintuitively. But if, if, you're, if you're, you're handed natural talents, but raw, maybe slightly slightly jagged-edged kind of cricketers, but clearly there are very talented young players coming through in Sri Lankan cricket, and you, you bring that kind of um, pragmatism to it, then that's probably quite a potent combination. And you've seen it. You've seen it in, in the test game. And now you're seeing it as well. I mean, nobody would have fancied Sri Lanka to have, to have won that tournament, really. And, and they've done it, as Ben brilliantly describes it, they've done that in, re- in real drama, mm. you know, dramatic fashion. And while it wouldn't have necessarily been Silverwood's masterminding of it, it's still, it's really good for the bloke that he's found, he's found a, new, a new place to, to, to do his work and, and, it's, and it's working out so well for him. The game itself needs it as well. You know, as we know, there aren't too many teams that play at a top level, and Sri Lanka have been—they've been a kind of silent player uh, for the last few years. Really, they've had to shift, of course, from the loss of all those great players. Uh, but now there's a coherence and a cohesiveness to it, which which is really good, I think, for the world game. Uh, and also, as I say, Test cricket is very much central to their their their. their uh, the their mindset now yeah. as well, you know, yeah. so it's, so it's, it's good and it's needed because we mm. need more variety and versatility in the game. And he gets to leave a sense of kind of a white ball imprint on the Sri Lanka side. The, the, the thing was when he was coaching England is that he came in and the white ball side was settled and mm. you never really got a sense of can Chris Hill actually kind of have, does, does he need to make an impact basically? Or is it the case that he just needs to like keep going with the flow of what's been happening for the last four or five years essentially? Whereas now you can you can properly look at that Sri Lanka side and say, obviously there's, you know, there are touches of Silverwood here essentially. Whereas and also, you... if England did well under Silverwood in white ball cricket, he just wouldn't get any credit. Exactly, like, that's what I'm Morgan saying. Morgan yeah. is doing it. Yeah. And actually, with England struggling a bit in white ball cricket this summer, actually that reflects quite well on Silverwood that mm-hmm. things weren't as rosy behind the scenes as as uh, as we as we thought. Um, in Australia, Aaron Finch announced his immediate retirement from ODI cricket. Um, he said, Did you listen to the show last week? <laughs> he said, it is time now to give a new leader the best possible opportunity to prepare for and win the next World Cup. 
Finch is remaining the T20 captain. He's had a really, really bad run in ODI cricket in recent times, averaging less than 13 from 14 ODIs in 2022. Uh, he finishes ODI career um, with only Ponting, Mark Warren, David Warner having scored more ODI hundreds for Australia. Um, Travis Head did really well for Australia opening the batting in Pakistan early in the year, so I reckon he's the guy who's going to come in. Um, Australia beat New Zealand 3-0 in an ODI series this week. Cam Green and Sean Abbott had very good series for the Aussies. Cam Green's um, international numbers across formats are very, very good with bat and ball. Back in England, England beat India in the opening T25 of their series in Durham. Uh, comprehensive victory. They won by nine wickets with seven overs to spare. Sarah Glenn picked up career. Best figures of four for 23. Sophia Dunkley scored a 50 at the top of the order. And Alice Capsi hit a quick unbeaten 30-odd to seal the game. Um, Harman Creek core, the India captain, wasn't hugely happy with conditions at the end of the game. said, I know it was not 100% right conditions to play cricket. I know the ground was too wet. There, there were so many chances to get injured and one of our players also got injured. She was our main bowler and that's why we were lacking. She was referring to left arm spinner Radha Yadav. Uh, Amy Jones, captain England for the first time after standing captain Nat Siver announced that she's going to be taking a short break from the game to focus on her mental health and well-being. Siver said, I've played a lot of cricket over the last nine months and I'm very emotionally fatigued. Elite sports demands a lot. And for the moment, I'm not able to perform without compromising my own well-being. So I need to take some time away from cricket in order to focus on myself. It's the right decision for me and it's the right decision for the team. That doesn't, that, that doesn't surprise me uh, that Nat's come out and said that. I, I met up with her a couple of months ago for an interview and she's always engaging. Uh, but you could see this was just before the Commonwealth Games mm. and after or in the midst of that South Africa series where it was a bit of a mismatch. And you could see that the the strain, the relentlessness of it, it was quite telling that we had, we we did an interview in this vast aircraft hangar of a hotel lobby by Stansted Airport, and and it felt uh, plastic and fake and soulless. And I think she was wrestling with with the the remorselessness of touring life. Uh, and she spoke really well and quite quite affectingly about the the, the 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 human challenges really, and especially of being a, a thirty year old woman newly married. Uh, she wants to have children. She wants to take her take her life down that road. And how do you combine that with being an international cricketer? Uh, and there are life decisions that her and Catherine are facing and confronting in a way that. The, the male equivalent 30-year-old cricketers wouldn't have to face. Um, and silly as it sounds, it hadn't really occurred to me that, 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 that they, they, are the, they are the life decisions that you, that you have to confront and ask yourself as a female cricketer. Uh, you kind of just take it for granted. You know, you're living some kind of dream, so you crack on. But of course, things are more complicated. Mm. Um, so I, I wish her well. She, she's, she's obviously a great cricketer, but an excellent, excellent person as well. Um, mm. Hopefully she'll be back refreshed and ready to go again. I saw a good stat about that, about that T20. I think it might have been hypercoursed on Twitter. He put it out. This was the first T20I that England have ever played that didn't involve at least one member of their 2017 World Cup final winning eleven. That's great. Nice. Mm. nice. Um, we're recording this on uh, a Monday. The, a new round of the county championship has started. Last week, though, Hampshire beat Northampton by an innings in Division 1 to overtake Surrey at the top of the table, albeit having played a game more than their championship rivals. 
Sam Cook took seven for 33 in Essex's win over Kent. And Keaton Jennings continued his brilliant summer, scoring 150 in the drawn Roses game. In Division 2, Notts comfortably beat Leicestershire to extend their lead at the top. And it's very tight between Glamorgan, Derbyshire and Middlesex for the second promotion spot. I talked earlier about the interview on Sky with um, David Court and Mo Bobat. The bit that I found most interesting was how they assess possible England seamers. Um, they basically said that there are four main factors that they assess, pace, release point, accuracy and movement, and they think you need to have two or three of those at least to have a chance. There are lots of um, interesting snippets of information in there. Stuart Board only has a release point of two centimetres more than James Anderson, which I was very surprised by. They also um, factor in your... The, the, the team's win percentage when you play games. So, for example, Sam Curran doesn't actually factor that well on individual metrics, but England win a lot more games than when he plays and when he when he doesn't. Um, and going back to Sam Cook, he was the other guy in the list of seamers they in- included. All the other guys are people who've played for England in the last few months. Um, and all the best seamers on that list average about 16 in the county championship in the last few years, which is what Cook averages. His career average is less than 20. And even though he's the slowest of the bowlers um, they mentioned, he is got the second best new ball average after Anderson, for example. Um, Anderson's numbers were absurd, by the way. He averages 11 with the new ball in the county championship and his average speed is faster than Broad, Potts, Robinson, Curran, Craig Overton and Cook himself. Um, so yeah, I mean, the way they, they they almost had it was like Sam Cook is he's going to be the, the guy that comes into the squad when Anderson eventually calls it a day. Cook's week, by the way, you say that he took seven for he took ten mm. in the match, and just two days before the start of the match, he takes four for in the hundred final. Mm. Pretty pretty handy. Most like underrated cricketer in the world. Mm. Um, um, and just, Anderson of all the stats, <clears throat> all the Anderson stats, the fact that. He's still the quickest bowler in this whole setup. That must be the 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 one that he cherishes the most in the here and now. That is extraordinary, isn't it? Mm. All of these young young bucks coming through, and he's got fifteen, sixteen years on him, and he's he's still wanging it down there quicker than the rest. And how Stuart Broad's release point only two centimeters more. Yeah, the collapsed front leg yeah. and the you know the wide arm, isn't it? Two two things that I picked out. What one was that Sam Cook's old ball numbers were also absurd. I mean, he's averaging. He just doesn't bowl bad balls. He's averaging seventeen point five. Bowl bad balls during thirty-seven time. But also Robinson uh, actually almost improves with the slightly older ball. So he he according to this, so he won't be correct to the, this test match, I think. But averaged twenty-seven point five in tests from overs one to twenty-nine and twenty-five uh, from that that point onwards, and that's, that's replicated in uh, first-class cricket as well, which I think is. Um, uh, is interesting, especially when you're going into to Pakistan. But also interesting, considering England have given him the new ball. I guess they do still see him as the bigger threat there, even though he has that other string to his bow. He is a very, he is a very good bowler. Ball, yes. Whenever he bowls, um, Phil, there's a new magazine coming out this week. Uh, before we run through different interviews, etc., in it, let's talk about uh, the main feature, I guess, which is where you ask 11 people from around the game to explore the question: What does cricket? mean to them now and in the future we've got names ranging from michael holding to to tar um what was the what was the thinking behind was, was, was that the, the top and the bottom mm-hmm. age-wise nice. age-wise right okay. um ah, what was the nice. thinking good, behind good doing the feature i can't remember anything quite like it at least in the last couple of years so it's called articles of faith good headline that that's one of mine uh and 
it's it stemmed from a conversation that Joe and me had, uh, an idle conversation about our relationship with the game on a on a personal on a on a not a spiritual level, but on a sort of existential level, right? And it occurred to us that we'd both been asking ourselves that question separately. And it comes in the context of a game that is changing before our eyes and evolving at breakneck speed. And so it stood to reason, we thought, that if the game is changing its its look and complexion, almost uh, it, it bears very little resemblance to the game that we used to know or that we grew up with. And the priorities are shifting and the old hierarchies are changing. So therefore, it stands to reason that our own relationship with the thing will evolve as well. And then, of course, there is... the. the Within this question, there is one's point in life, right? You know, and how priorities shift and change. And it's a lot easier to be to be wild about a game of cricket at 20 than it is at 40. Trust me on that one. Uh, so anyway, we started this, this chat idly and then we brought, branched it out and started speaking to other people. And it turned out that lots of people were, ha were having this internal monologue with themselves, if you like. Uh, and so this article grew from there. Uh, it was. It felt a bit counterintuitive on a certain level to run a magazine where you know it requires people to put a few few quid in, on the table in order to receive it, and the, it kind of confers a positivity, a sort of celebratory nature. Right, a magazine tends to do that, um, but it felt like this was the right time to ask this question, and whatever answers we were going to get, we were going to run with a range of people. So as you say, from, from Holding to Ishigua to Taha to David Lloyd to John Stern to Glenn Turner, the great New Zealand opening bat, um, to Joe himself. I write the intro, Vidush Vish, who everybody knows, he's written a piece as well. Mel Farrell's written a piece. Uh, Claire Connor wanted to, and she's going to, I'm going to interview her next week on the same subject. We couldn't quite get it done for this issue, but it was a question that seemed to strike a chord with people. Now, I don't want to present this as a kind of universally bleak outcome because it's not that. There are there are many kernels of positivity and optimism within people's answers. Um, there are some who say, and I have it in front of me here, Michael Holding says he hardly watches cricket these days. He finds it too painful. He has very little respect for short-form white ball cricket. And watching the West Indies you know, found, flounder along, he finds that too painful reached a point in his life where he has a standoffish relationship with it. Isha, for example, credits cricket with um, pulling her out of any 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 sadness, any personal difficulties. Um, cricket's always she 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 describes cricket as as a great kind of sense of sukkah, if you like, you know. And and talking about cricket remains a joy for her, and will do. She hopes forevermore. Um, Matt Roller, whose name I didn't mention earlier, but he's the young, you know, he was on the show last week. He's, he's a brilliant young writer. And he he comes at it from the new generation's perspective. And he, and he says, I mean, he talks about the IPL and short form cricket. And he says of the hundreds of millions who tune into the IPL final every year, unenlightened people. And so he makes the point that while the game is changing complexion, um, you can also make a very strong, valid case that the, that, that the game is more democratic more open more colorful uh than it's than it's ever been before so so this is not uh an exercise in pity 
or in middle age angst. Uh, it throws up various different positions, um, and it comes from a place of love, mm. I suppose. So that's why we that's why we wanted to do it. Reading it, it was it was almost like. Um, do you like it? Yeah, I did. But it, it was almost like couple couple counselling in in written form. Kind yeah, of like, right. Yeah. This is how things are changing. Let's just say how it is, and then let's talk about it honestly. Um, it's not a question that we ask very much, though, is it? No. It's, we're constantly dealing with the issues, and if we. If it's on a good day, we might come up with some sort of half-baked solution for an issue. But normally, we're just talking about the things, the problems. Mm. This was about one's personal relationship with it, mm. how it waxes and wanes, how you keep the ambivalence at the door, mm. uh, how you maintain a degree of love and devotion to this this ludicrous mm. thing, uh, even when there are times when you doubt it. I think for, for those who's written, I've, I've read it, and for those who are kind of i guess struggling a bit part of writing it is about how do we make peace with how the game moves forward how where where do we look to in the game to kind of find our place as it continuously you mm. know changes mm. i think yeah not not to not to get too bleak but um you know you know with with i think there's a study released last week that five of the major signposts for for uh, our battle with climate change have already gone past the tipping point I basically think that's already happened in test cricket and we don't talk about that enough. So I was watching uh, every now and again, I'd go on YouTube and watch some, some highlights from the 90s or whatever. And I was watching the... the, 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 the <laughs> it wasn't in my week off, but before that, I was re-watching the, the, the Lara 153. And then when he hits the winning runs, you got a packed Kensington Oval, crowd go wild, completely packed with with, with locals. That test cricket isn't that anymore. West West Indies play in front of no one, and I know that other forms of the game have taken its place in terms of spectator viewing in the stadium. I think it's totally fine if someone has watched cricket all their lives isn't okay with that mm. because the thing they fell in love with no longer exists in the same way. I think that's fine, and I think a lot of people view Holding's position on T Twenty cricket as a bit unreasonable. But if that's what he fell in love with when he was a kid in the sixties. I think that's fine for him not to, to to appreciate T20 cricket and understand the value that other people have in it. But from a personal point of view, to be like, yeah, not for me. Mm. Um, and I think that that's fair enough. And I, mm. I quite like that. Um, for the punters who read it, I'd really like to have this conversation with them as well. Uh, and so if, if you do get a hold of, the, of this, please do ask yourself that question. If you feel compelled to write into us or to tweet us or whatever, then... Um, I've actually asked for that on the article itself. You know, please do engage with this yourself because it's a, it's a question that is clearly, it's a, like a bellwether question, I suppose. Mm. And it's, it seems to have tapped into to people more than many of the other things that we do. Let's put it that way. So, so yeah, if you're out there and you do read it and you are affected by it, you know, or touched by it, then please do write in because I'd love to hear from you. Uh, what else is in the magazine? I can't remember. Okay. Did about a week ago. Cool. Loads of good stuff. Cool. But that thing. <laughs> uh, well, as always, if you want to buy the magazine, head to wisdom.com forward slash shop. Um, that is it for today's show. Cheers, Ben. Cheers, Phil. And thank you, Taha. This has been the Wisdom Cookie Weekly Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll be back. Podcast Network.